well, today we are going to, in one sense, continue with uh, our journey through the book of Acts. But I also thought that I'm going to um, divert a little bit to some of the parables that Yeshua taught because they help us to uh, understand a little bit about what's going on in, in the book of Acts. And that might sound, what are you talking about, Howard? Well, okay. Well, you know, when we uh, uh, study Acts, in fact, when we go to where, right where we're located here in Acts chapter uh, 12 and Acts chapter 13, we're actually in the beginning of uh, chapter 13. So last time we looked in the book of Acts in chapter 12, uh, at the beginning when it says, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the community, to the congregation, in order to mistreat them. Uh, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Now, you know, I, I, it's amazing that uh, they didn't get discouraged uh, or wonder if Yeshua is really the Messiah, why are these things happening? If he's really the Messiah and we're filled with the Ruach, I, why don't we just have complete victory? You know, I, I, but we read uh, Peter wa was in uh, jail like on a regular basis, you know, I, in those early days. And Stephen was martyred I, and it was, it was difficult. Uh, we see that the congregation, the community grows. Uh, Luke pauses periodically and says that, you know, the congregation grew in numbers and, uh, uh, and so on. Uh, but we see that they had a difficult time. Well, you know, I, it, in, a, in a way, it reminds us of uh, today, of our own day, uh, and uh, that... Uh, uh, it's not easy being a Messiah follower when you're really following the Lord at any time. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is, is that when we have the opportunity to share the good news with people, that is really the primary question. It gets asked a thousand different ways. But really, it all boils down to one question. Uh, you know, if Yeshua is really the Messiah, why is the world the way it is? And, it get, you know, so if... Uh, People might say, uh, if Yeshua is the Messiah, why is there no peace? If Yeshua is the Messiah, why is there so much sin in the world? If Yeshua is the Messiah, why do you have unbridled um, uh, empires uh, oppressing people? Uh, you know, if Yeshua is the Messiah, why uh, are there diseases in the world? If Yeshua is the Messiah, uh, why don't we just see this uh, kingdom? Because, you know, the expectation... Certainly, uh, in, in the Jewish world in the first century, quite clearly, and in the 21st century, quite clearly, is, is that the, when, the, when the Messiah comes, everybody's going to know. You know, it's, it's just, it's not going to be one of these things that, uh, you know, is he or isn't he? When the Messiah comes, we're going to know that the nations will be judged. Uh, the world will be turned upside down. The you know, uh, methods of warfare will turn into farming equipment. Uh, you, you know, swords will be turned into plowshares. People will not learn war again. There'll be no oppression. Uh, uh, just, uh, you know, a new heaven and a new earth. Well, uh, we don't see that. So how could he be the Messiah if that is how the world is, right? We might be asking that question today. 
if Yeshua is really the Messiah, why is X, Y, Z? Why do we see this in our, in our country? Why uh, do we have that? Why do we have this? And let's face it, those are real questions that, that uh, uh, people indeed have. And the fact of the matter is, is that um, on some level, we may ask those questions sometimes, right? If Yeshua is the Messiah, you fill in the uh, blank. Well, you know, this is something uh, that is addressed in the New Covenant. And the reason that I wanted to, to bring it up is because in chapter 12 and in chapter 13, we see um, uh, how the congregation of believers functioned things, specific things that they did in the midst of all that was going on. And so when I first started preparing for this, I thought, well, I'll just talk about those things. But I thought that we need to start with a little bit of the backstory first uh, in order to really appreciate this, uh, what the apostles and these early believers went through. And how is it that they didn't get discouraged, even with the Ruach, even with the filling of the Spirit and things? People were getting killed and being imprisoned and being persecuted uh, for being Messiah followers. And the world was not anywhere near what it needed to be, right? What was promised. How did they not get discouraged? Well, when you go back, for example, to the 11th chapter of uh, Matthew, the 11th chapter of Matthew, we see something very interesting uh, about John, Yohanan, John. So he's in prison, right? Now, this is not John the Apostle, right? This is John the Immerser, uh, otherwise known as John the Baptist, uh, or, uh, you know, they, those are all his names right there, right? Okay. Uh, and, and so we see here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, and it came about that when Yeshua had finished giving instructions uh, to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John in prison heard the works of Messiah, now he was not in prison for preaching about Yeshua. He was in prison for pointing out the moral failures of the uh, leaders of the, uh, uh, the the leaders of the people. That's another story. You can read about it in the 14th chapter of Matthew. Uh, but that's why he's in prison. Okay. Uh, now, when John in prison heard the works of Messiah, he sent word by the disciples, and he said and said to him, "Are you the expected one, or should we look for somebody else?" Now that's fascinating. Why? What would what could motivate him who immersed Yeshua? Remember? He immersed Yeshua. Uh, he, he declared that this is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Uh, you, you know, he's pointing to him. What, what is it that could have motivated or confused him? to actually ask that question. Well, may I suggest that he asks that question because he's thinking, if Yeshua is the Messiah, why am I in prison? If Yeshua is doing like, he's healing people and this, the Messiah is supposed to be like judging the enemies and, you know, and, uh, and, and I'm the one who's 
pointing to him, why am I in, why am I in prison, right? And so I think that's rather interesting that he asks that question. Here, this truly a follower of Yeshua asks that question. Why? Because truly the expectation of everybody was that when the Messiah reveals himself, that's the end, you know? That, again, the nations are judged. Uh, uh, there's a new Jerusalem. There's peace. Uh, it's what we're, what we're looking forward to, but, but I'm in prison. I don't understand. I see you're healing people, but I don't get it, right? Well, now when we come to chapter 13 of Matthew, chapter 13, this is a very important chapter. Yeshua tells a series of parables a series of parables to make a point, to make a point. And uh, this was very important to the apostles because this was going to help them understand the nature of what Yeshua came to do. What Yeshua came to do uh, uh, when, he was, uh, when he was with them and, uh, and, and how it affects us. And you know this passage. Some of you are familiar with the parable of the seeds you know, going to the four, the four kinds of soils and, and all of that. And uh, something to remember when we read parables, uh, and that is that uh, parables uh, are designed to make a point. Not that we have to try to figure out uh, 10 different things about the parable. Uh, you know, what does this represent? What does that represent? What does this represent? What does that represent? Basically, when Yeshua told parables, they were to make, uh, make a point. You know what is a good example of that? A good example of that is the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan, at the end of the story, the Good Samaritan, it's who is my neighbor? It's making one point, right? Uh, and so these parables are designed to make a point. So Yeshua says, or we read here about him. It says uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, on that day, Yeshua went out of the house and was sitting by the sea and great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, right? Okay, now, so he tells the parable of the four, uh, of the four kinds of soil that the seed goes to. And at the end of it, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more may be given, and, to, and he shall have in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he, uh, what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he goes on to talk about a, 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 a prophecy of judgment, uh, about not being able to understand what the prophet is saying. Uh, and so the, what we want to understand here is that Yeshua is telling his disciples, his followers, uh, a parables to make a point. And this point is understood basically by those who embrace Yeshua. And the reason that he tells them is so that they would not be discouraged or disillusioned 
about what was about to what was about to unfold during his life and after you know the resurrection and and what we read about in the book of acts he's going to tell them something that had not been understood but is now being revealed and he calls it the mysteries of the kingdom the mysteries of the kingdom uh, that's an important phrase uh, now it doesn't mean some uh, dark uh you know, dark secret, some, uh, uh, you know, scary secret, some mystery or, or sort of an Agatha Christie uh, story or uh, something like that. But uh, it is, it, it, it means something that is now being revealed that was not understood before. Uh, and, and he tells them this truth through this series of parables. So now he's going to explain to them the parable of the four seeds. So he says here uh, in verse uh, 19 or verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. And he's going to explain it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the very worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth a hundredfold, sixtyfold, some thirty. He presented another parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slave of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did we not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it then then how does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slave said, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them. I mean, he's just parable after parable about what the kingdom uh, of heaven can be compared to. Okay? And because he's making a point using each of these parables to make a point of what it can be compared to. Okay? They, he presented uh, another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and became a tree so that the birds of the air coming and nested in its branches. Whoa, then he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three 
pecks of meal until it was all leavened. All these things Yeshua spoke to a multitude in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundations of the world. Then he left the multitudes and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. We are fortunate, friends, because we get to understand this as well. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. What is he teaching in these parables? He's teaching them a profound truth about the kingdom of heaven. And it's a simple truth. And the truth is, is that as Yeshua came, when Yeshua came to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven into this world, it can be rejected. It can be rejected. And it's going to exist side by side with the, with this world. The domain of darkness continues right alongside the, uh, the kingdom of his beloved son. Uh, and why was this so important? Beca- because John was wondering, wait a minute, why am I in prison? If you're the Messiah, right? Isn't the whole world supposed to be turned upside down? But it isn't. If we turn to Matthew chapter 21, in Matthew uh, chapter 21, Yeshua uh, enters uh, into Jerusalem after raising up Lazarus from the dead. This is like, uh, you know, toward the end of his uh, life, right? And people had great expectations uh, now of Yeshua, right? Uh, And we read in verse 9, of Matthew 21, and the multitudes going before him and those who followed him were crying out saying, Hosanna to the son of David, to the king, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the highest. The city was stirred. Who is this? Uh, This is the prophet Yeshua from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, And then we read a number of things that Yeshua did uh, uh, when he uh, enters uh, uh, Jerusalem. But what is uh, very interesting here uh, is uh, that, um, that, that he says here, he tells them a, a number of other stories, uh, and we read a number of anecdotal things. We read, for example, uh, a parable about a vineyard. And what is in that parable of the vineyard? That uh, you, you know that uh, the, the vineyard is not being cared for and the sun comes and the sun is killed. In other words, uh, that the, the, this kingdom arrives and, uh, 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 and, and we don't see that the vineyard is, uh, you know, that, that the sun is accepted. Uh, it's in this same uh, context uh, that uh, they come to Yeshua with a coin and say, should we pay the, the taxes to Caesar? Uh, and he says, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, right? 
all of this is all of this is connected. I also we read in chapter 23 about the woes to the, to the Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, right? And at the end of it, Yeshua laments over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how much I wanted to gather you to, together I, uh, as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were un, unwilling, right? All of this is taking place that shows us, it's narrated to show us that here Yeshua makes a royal entry into Jerusalem but he does not meet the expectations uh, because they're expecting the world to be turned upside down. And Yeshua says things like, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Uh, he tells them parables where the son, you know, preparing them for his own uh, rejection, uh, you know, by the, uh, by the authorities. And then in Matthew chapter 24, of all things, right, there we read, uh, about um, uh, what Yeshua says uh, here. Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon the other, on, uh, which will not be torn down. This is at the temple. Here he's the Messiah, but he's saying it's going to be torn down? Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? This was not in the script of, of the Messiah coming and, and all of the nations uh, being judged. And uh, all the Jews returning from the four corners of the earth. Because remember, more Jews were in Babylon at this time than uh, there were in uh, Jerusalem, uh, for sure. He's seemingly not meeting their expectations. And then what does he say? Uh, they, or the disciples say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He said, see that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying I'm the Messiah and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for these things must all take place and it is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, uh, so on and so forth. You know, they will deliver you to tribulation, will kill you. You'll be hated by the nations on account of my name. Wow, we should not be surprised when the world doesn't measure up to uh, what you know to to the what we think is the moral and ethical standard, or the way people should treat each other, or the way nations should treat each other in in this world. No, uh, Yeshua in all of this is is teaching that he has come to inaugurate yes this kingdom, and he is indeed the king, but this kingdom can be rejected. This uh, uh, that Messiah followers we all live. We live in a world where intermingled of, of wheat and tares, right? Uh, and, uh, and also the mustard seed back in Matthew 13, right? Don't get the idea that, um, uh, that the kingdom of heaven is insignificant because it's invisible, uh, because uh, the king is Yeshua, but he is not yet uh, physically sitting on his throne in Jerusalem and the nations are not yet defeated. Don't get the idea that, that who you are is insignificant and it doesn't matter and it's just religion. And then the leaven is not about the leaven growing or the leaven being evil. In other words, the parable there of the leaven is not about, well, the, the congregation of, we're going to grow and take over the world and then the Lord will return. It doesn't mean that. And it also does not refer to, to evil. It refers to what it says. It's a little piece just like a little mustard seed. 
See, very important for us to, to understand. And then there's another, we don't have time, but there's other parables. The, the pearl, right? The, the pearl of great price means how precious is the followers of Yeshua. And we need to have that understanding amongst ourselves. Because you see, when we then when we come to Acts, we see what, well, then what is indeed the calling of the apostles? What indeed was the calling of these Messiah followers? It was to demonstrate, to live out, to encourage, to persuade people to enter through the narrow gate and participate in the kingship, in the kingdom of God, under the kingship of God in Yeshua, right? So another way to frame it is, we, this world is like the domain of darkness, right? As it says in Colossians chapter one, but we have been uh, delivered, right? Uh, to the kingdom of his beloved son. We read in another place that we are light in the middle of darkness, right? So I think it's really important that when we think about our calling and our vision and our mission, it's not about reforming the domain of darkness. It's not about making the domain of darkness a better place. It is about announcing and living out and demonstrating amongst ourselves what it means to be part of the, of the kingdom of God. What it means to be seated in heavenly places with Yeshua yet living in this world right now. You see, and we should never minimize the importance of that and think to ourselves, the only good we can be is trying to change the world we live in rather than uh, demonstrating, building up and preaching and inviting people and persuading people to enter the, this, uh, the, the kingdom of David slash kingdom of God and that Yeshua is indeed uh, the Messiah of Israel. Now the day is going to come. That's, that's, if we read all of Matthew 24, we'd get that quite clearly. The day is indeed coming to, going to come when Yeshua will uh, uh, appear and the whole world will know and swords will be turned into plowshares and nations will not learn war again and nations will be judged. But in the meantime, which is where we live right now, uh, this is our calling. Now, remember that, you know, light, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, that light sheds, that, that light changes the darkness to a certain degree, right? Light changes the darkness to a certain degree. And so by us living and with passion demonstrating the kingship of God amongst ourselves and, uh, you know, and the world seeing that uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and Lord willing, people coming to know the Messiah, which is where real profound change takes place, we can make certainly a difference in this world, but our passions need to be here. And that's why in the book of Acts, in chapter 12 and 13, you see martyrdom and you see imprisonment. And then you see uh, Barnabas and Saul being sent out. Okay? Uh, but what is the backdrop of it? What the, the uh, what what does the congregation do 
What are they engaged in? What do they seem to be taking their time doing? Well, you can read it again in chapter 12. They were praying. They were praying. Peter was in prison. They were praying uh, uh, that, that he indeed would be released. Uh, and uh, may I suggest that it wasn't only just that an angel of the Lord came and, and released him, but, in, but the prayer, uh, the partnership, one might say, of God and the Messiah followers found its fruit in Peter being released. They prayed. And then in chapter 13, notice what it says now, and it's in a whole other news story. In, in chapter 13, now there was at Antioch in the congregation that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who were called Nair, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And when they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Uh, and so fasting and prayer, you see what the congregation is engaged in is fasting and prayer. Uh, and as a result, uh, Peter uh, was freed out of the prison miraculously, and Barnabas and Saul go on their way. And what are they on their way to do? Make the world a better place? No. Well, <laughs> I guess you could say indirectly, yes. But what they were called to do was go and bring the good news to peoples that had never heard it before, to people that had never heard it before. And so let us be encouraged that when we look around us and we say, you know, the world is just a mess and I don't know where it's going and I'm getting discouraged, you know, because things don't seem to be getting any better. Recognize that what you're seeing is rebellion against God, the domain of darkness, we should not be surprised at it. The message can be rejected. The wheats and the tares grow side by side. The kingdom is indeed real and is here in the, uh, uh, physically in the body of the Messiah. And may we find our encouragement there. May we find our encouragement from one another, uh, from the word of God, uh, from the fellowship of, uh, uh, you know, of, of believers. May we find our encouragement there, recognize the world for what it is, and be good Messiah followers and share it, teach it, persuade, live it, and may the world see it. That is that is the economy of God, how the economy of God is functioning right now these days. Uh, and, uh, and so I thought to myself, well, uh, you know, we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of, of that and recognize that God's word has not failed, right? Remember back in Romans chapter 11, Paul anticipates a question. And the question that he anticipates is, if, if Israel has, like, as a people, kind of like the leadership, rejected Yeshua, has God's word failed? Because that's not what's supposed to happen. And he says, by no means, may it never be. 
And he says, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And boy, if this transgression means the gospel going to the nations, how much more will their fulfillment be? And so may we be engaged. If we really want to change the world, may we bring the good news to Jewish people and by extension to anybody. If you really want to change the world, that's how you do it. And if you don't really believe that, then you really got to ask yourself, what is the power of the good news? What are we doing? I believe that, and I hope that you do too. And that's what Yeshua was, was teaching his disciples because he knew that when he had ascended to the right hand of the Father, the world was not going to be receptive to the message and you would still have oppressive regimes for a really long time doing all kinds of horrible things. But God's word has not failed. God is faithful to Israel that even in unbelief, you know, I, the Jewish community is still here. But as Messiah followers, God has given us the calling, Jew and Gentile together, to be a light in this darkness. And so whatever you see in this world that might be discouraging you, may it, on the other hand, motivate you. Motivate you to remember who you are in the Messiah and recognize that, uh, that as part of the community of Messiah followers, we may be like that mustard seed. We may, we may be like that little piece of leaven, but we are a pearl of great price. And that to God, uh, we are precious in his sight and have been called to a high calling of the priesthood of Yeshua and the prophetic word of Yeshua. And so may we be encouraged and may we put our passions in the right place and advance the work of God in this world. And you know, I, uh, I just want you to know that, uh, you know, in Jewish theology, there is a belief in the, in, of the invisible kingdom of God and the visible kingdom of God. And, uh, and that to, before the Messiah, from a Jewish point of view, when, when the Messiah comes, will be the visible kingdom of God. But in the meantime, as long as we, so to speak, say the Shema uh, from our heart with Kavanah, we take upon ourselves, and you're ready for this? It's called the yoke of the kingdom. It's called in Judaism, in rabbinic writings, the yoke, take upon yourself the yoke of the kingdom. And isn't that what Yeshua said? In Matthew chapter 11, at the other end of the chapter, after John's confusion, Yeshua says, come to me all who are heavy laden, right? And I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my load is light. And so may we focus our attention on Yeshua and recognize who we are in him and fulfill the calling he's given us. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, I pray that as we look at uh, Matthew chapter 12 and chapter 13, that we would be people who fast and pray, that we may realize that, that uh, we need to place our passions there. May we be people who are interceding. May we be people who are praying praying for uh, repentance, for eyes to be opened, for deliverance, for victory, for strength. May we be fasting and praying, Lord, 
May we be fasting and praying that uh, that your word is received. When may we be fasting and praying for people that we know that are scattering seed and may it land on the soil where it grows. Lord, may we be fasting and praying for our people Israel to know Messiah Yeshua. May we be fasting and praying for people in far different lands and different places, people who are oppressed or uh, who are in really bad situations right here in this world to be released, redeemed, and to know Messiah. Lord, may we be light. And Lord, as you call us in this world, may we fulfill the calling you've given us to be light in whatever way that may take for us. But Lord, may it all be for the cause of advancing your kingdom in this world. And may we never think that prayer and fasting and sharing the good news are like nice religious activities, but they don't really make a difference. Lord, may we know that according to Yeshua, they make all of the difference. And may we repent for our lack of fasting and praying and being zealous for you. Lord, may this be a day for us to rise up, to fast, to pray, and to trust you, Lord. And, and uh, God, we thank you for this great reminder of the mystery of the kingdom. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.